0: Sports Ethos, New York Knicks podcast coming to you after a thrilling overtime victory from the New York Knicks. I told you it'd be tough. I'm going to be the I told you so host. I just decided. Because there's too many opinions, too much talky talk. Let's start keeping records. I'm I'm going to be wrong sometimes. I'm going to be wrong in some stuff. But people look at the Charlotte Hornets and they decided the Charlotte Hornets weren't a good team. And the Knicks are supposed to win. I'm doing air quotes. You can't see me. It was a post to win. How do you do that? How do you decide that this team, the New York Knicks, who, if you go around the league and you started polling people, asking them how good the Knicks were going to be, especially in July after they signed Jalen Brunson, they were going to tell you they were going to be a a borderline play-in team, a bad team going into a, a good Eastern Conference. Then after the Donovan trade, everyone made the Knicks out to be a joke. Now, all of a sudden, the Knicks are supposed to beat Charlotte. Where do you get off? They're supposed to beat them. Charlotte just beat Atlanta. This was a game that they should win at home. A soft should. Should win it. They probably should beat the Hornets at home if they're going to be a serious team. Not one of those... They beat them in overtime, it's a bad win, which is what you're seeing on Twitter. It's a bad win, a bad win. This The team came in here with the same record the Knicks did. And because of their injuries, all of a sudden it doesn't matter. They're playing well. And you got to look at these stats. Charlotte's putting up, it's early in the year, I get it. But points per game, they're leading the league. And the Knicks are second. Now, again, it's only because it's four games and they they scored 130 points between them in overtime. But Charlotte was putting points up before that. They're leading the the league in three-point field goal percentage at 41.7. This team puts them up. They score points. It doesn't matter. They're second in the league in field goal percentage. The Knicks had to grind this victory out, and they deserve credit for doing so. And you saw why Jalen Brunson is here, but we're not going to do this every show the way the New York media is doing it. Every, every post game, they ask every Knicks player, tell us about how great Jalen is. I'm sure they're sick of it. As much as they love Jalen, I'm sure they're sick of it, because I'm sick of it too. But give him credit. Don't take his credit away, because he earned this. He earned this victory. He won this game for the New York Knicks. And if you're still on the fence about whether or not Jalen Brunson was a good sign, then wake up. Wake up. I don't care how early it is. Wake up. Last night, 27 points, 13 assists, 7 rebounds. Hit all those free throws, 2 of 5 from 3, and hit big ones down the stretch and in overtime. Big ones, 10 of 15 from the field, 40 minutes, and they needed every ounce of it in a game where I told you Dennis Smith Jr. was going to come out And he's going to try to blow out the Knicks birthday candles. And he almost did it. And give the kid credit because he played with composure while he was doing it. 14 points for him. 11 assists. Scored baskets down the stretch of regulation when the game was on the line. He just looked good out there. He's not a great player. 7-16 from the field. 43%. 0-3 from 3. He's not great. We know this. But he did everything he was supposed to do in that game. And I told you he was going to come out here with something to prove, and he almost did it. But Jalen was having none of it. You saw him responding all the time, responding. And if you listen to the post game, you hear the Nick players talking about how he was constantly getting them together, getting them on task, in between plays, making sure they knew the situation, time scoring situation, making sure they knew what they were doing out there defensively and offensively. The game was on the line. This is a game, and you'll hear this from people who follow the Knicks, fans, and media. This is a game the Knicks would have lost last year. Because they did not have that kind of leadership. And I told you that Jalen was going to be the guy down the stretch of that game. I told you, down the stretch of games, Jalen's the guy. Because he's the guy who's going to make the decisions, the right decisions. He has the guts. He has the courage to take and make big shots and he did it last night. This team puts him up, and and everyone laughed at the whole Steve Clifford situation when he was hired, and listen, let's be fair. They deserve some criticism, but Steve Clifford is not a bad coach. He's not. This team was ready to play. Ready to play. Gordon Hayward didn't have a great game last night, but he played with the aggression I told you he would. 8-18 from the field, 1-3 from three. Did not light him up. And they got lucky because he had his opportunities. But 20 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists. P.J. Washington also did not shoot well. The Knicks were dodging bullets for most of this game. He played aggressively. He was taking guys off the dribble, trying to get into the paint. 5 of 14 from the field. Almost hit a dagger for the Knicks, tying the game in overtime. Had his big toe on the line. Close call. Close call. But he was up for the task last night as well. A lot of people calling for Mason Plumlee to sit the bench and Nick Richards to play. If you watch that game, you understand why Mason Plumlee plays. He just knows where to be on offense, where to be on defense. He's kind of like a coach on the floor for them. Eight points, one block, one steal, four assists, seven rebounds, four or six from the line. Kelly Oubre, 35 minutes, 7 or 18. They did not shoot great last night. They had their chances. Steve Clifford knew exactly, which is what I was alluding to last episode, exactly how to attack the Knicks' defense. You know why? Because their offense was very much what the Knicks' offense aspires to be. They just don't have the shooting on the, at every position the way Charlotte does. And they didn't have it last night because they didn't make most of their shots. But they were running many of the same sets. Getting a lot of open looks. Getting a lot of penetration. Early in the game, you saw a lot of penetration and kicking out and Charlotte not getting much out of it. And the Knicks dodged that bullet for most of the night until the end of the game. Jalen McDaniels, 6-10 from the field, 3-3 three three from three, a dagger, dagger at the dagger from him, from him, six rebounds, one block, one steal. Maladon came in and gave them good minutes, 6-7 from the field. Book Knight hit some good baskets. You didn't know which way to turn when this team started coming at the Knicks. Because the offense was coming from wherever the rotations led them. Because everyone could shoot, in theory. They weren't hitting them, and that's why the Knicks were even in this game. And you can really criticize the Knicks. I mean, of course you can in a 130-point game. But you can really criticize the Knicks and their defensive rotations and how... Someone is always in the paint and now and how that puts pressure on Mitchell Robinson and, and oftentimes why he's in foul trouble, because there's a lot of pressure being put on him at the rim, even though a lot of his fouls do come from just I'm not going to say, you know, nonsense, but a lot of times it's rebounds or just putting hands on people in the post for no reason. But that one or two fouls a game he might get when someone's putting pressure on the rim. You have to understand that that's coming from other people's defensive deficiencies. And a lot of times, if you're watching the games, the Knicks are helping off shooters when they don't have to. If if Mitchell is going to be at the front of the rim, you don't need to come from the perimeter. Why are you sinking in every single time someone gets in the paint? You're coming in for no reason, I feel. If Mitchell is there then you don't need to leave the three-point line. When you have the luxury of having a center, an opposing center, who's going to be in and around the paint, you don't need to sink in from the three-point line. If anything, hedge and recover quickly before the pass is thrown so that that's not even a clean look or a look that you scared them off of. You don't even want those guys taking those shots sometimes because these guys nowadays can make it even though you're contesting it. Especially if they have a size advantage on the closeout defender. I just think the Knicks, and the Knicks are going to give up penetration sometimes. They don't have excellent defensive players across the board. But oftentimes, you're giving up outside shots when you don't need to give them up. When you have an outside shooting center, is going to be a problem for every team in the league. But when you don't, like Charlotte doesn't, and by the way, leading the team in three-point shooting percentage and leading the team in scoring not leading the team leading the league in scoring and three-point shooting percentage even though they have a center who does not shoot threes you can space the floor and not have a three-point shooting center it happens golden state does it when kevin kevin looney's in the game i'm not even going to count draymond green because he leads that offense in other ways but you don't have to mitchell doesn't have to be a shooter for the knicks to get up threes and have spacing That is schematic, right? And you're seeing that from Charlotte, and you're seeing that from a lot of teams in the league, by the way. But the Knicks need to clean that up because there are teams in this league, and Charlotte was one of them, and luckily they were not hitting their shots, who know that they're going to get a ton of looks and don't hesitate when when that ball comes out. You've seen the Denver Nuggets do that to the Knicks twice now. in two I actually think it's three consecutive seasons. They have lit it up from three-point land against the Knicks because they knew those shots were going to be there and did not hesitate because there was going to be a late closeout defender. And that closeout defender has to not be late anymore. They need to be early and they're not. And that's something you could point out with the Knicks in in the way they're playing defensively. And last night you saw them get away with just a team missing three-point shots for a lot of the game. With all of that said, the Charlotte Hornets knew they would be in this game and they knew that they would be in a position to make a late run the way the game was developing. And the fact that they came at the Knicks and had a chance to win that game is not does not mean the Knicks are a terrible team. It means that they're a professional team and they're coming here and they're trying to take care of business. They get paid too. And don't tell me because the Knicks are possibly a play-in contending team that they were supposed to put the Charlotte Hornets away. Charlotte Hornets came at them and gave them everything they wanted and then some. But the Knicks responded. They responded. Julius was somewhat decent last night. Missed a lot of shots, but he made some big, big plays. Made some big plays down the stretch. Mitchell was a monster. Everything I told you, Mitchell was going to be six blocks. This is why he's there. Six big blocks. Big play after big play from Mitchell. Fournier hit some, not his best effort if you watch the game, but he was effective offensively. And again, this is why he plays. Six, six of 11 from the field, two, only two of six from three, but made some decent offensive plays. Now you might say to yourself, well, other guys can make those plays. And they're not making them right now. Hartenstein only 15 minutes last night. Once again, but those of you not watching the games, Martin Stein's going to have these nights. If you're a fantasy player, he's going to have these nights. You're going to have you're going to have to eat those nights if you're going to have them on your roster, because there are going to be nights like this where Mitchell is is not in foul trouble, and his impact defensively is needed, especially against a team that was scoring a ton of points. And what you saw last night, if you're a Cam Reddish fan, is you saw a Cam Reddish playing not because of his offense, but because of his defense. Something I said to you a while back. That you're going to start seeing Cam maybe played for defensive purposes. And you saw that last night when Fournier, who was getting torched last night, fouled out of the game. He wasn't put in the game for his offense. He only took three shots in the game. And he got pulled quick as hell after yet another pinky toe dribble move. This kid is dribbling and turning the ball over almost every game. He's averaging a turnover a game for no reason just dribbling off his foot got to clean it up cam if you're going to play got to clean it up but the fact that he's being played for defensive uh, assignments and his defensive prowess that's big for him for him doesn't mean he's going to definitely play he's going to have to again be more solid on offense turning the ball over for no reason And he's going to have to make a lot of his open shots. And he's going to have to be a consistent contributor offensively to supplant Fournier. He's going to have to be. OB only 13 minutes. If you can believe it, Tom Thibodeau was trending last night because people were calling for Obi to get more minutes. Listen, the Knicks won the game. And Obi played well last night. Three of four from three. Excellent shots from him. He didn't get his normal runouts and dunks. Too many of them. I don't think he might have had. I don't think he had any dunks last night, actually. Which is perfectly fine. You just want him out there playing defense. You want him being a factor in the half court as well as in transition. Transition was not there for the Knicks last night. Charlotte knew what they were getting into because Steve Clifford is not a dummy. They knew the Knicks wanted to push the pace. They knew they wanted to play fast. They got back on defense. And that's a sign of a good coach, a well-coached team. A lot of jokes over the summer with all of the musical chairs, with the coaching and everything for the Hornets, people passing up on opportunities to coach the team, Dan Tony being right there to be hired, and then that falling apart in the last hours. Hey, even I made some fun of it when Steve Clifford was hired again after being fired a few years ago. But listen, to have that team performing the way they are, scoring all those points with backups, and and sometimes – Sometimes people get a little, and we might spend some time talking about this in the middle of the season, because you're seeing this with the Jazz and you're seeing this with San Antonio, both of them playing well at the beginning of this season, even though people expected them to tank and thought, looking at their talent, that they just weren't going to win many games regardless of what their plans might have been. But what people don't understand is you can win games in a regular season with scouting, execution, hard work, and solid basketball play. People just underestimate the productivity of a solid basketball player who knows when to shoot, knows when to pass, knows when to drive, has good footwork, understands offensive uh, plans, game plans, defensive game plans. You can win in a regular season just with that and effort. In the playoffs, that's typically not enough. In the playoffs, you need some superstars who can put the ball in the basket and, and have all of those skills too. But a regular season, you can win like that. You can win games. You can, you can beat people. You're not supposed to beat. And that's how, you know, Steve Clifford is a good coach because he's without the heavy hitters in his lineup, most of them, at least. And he's still able to have a team that's out there competitive every night. And it's the same thing with Orlando who's 0 four, but they've been in a lot of games. Now, I think they probably should have won a couple of them because they have a lot more talent on the floor than Charlotte does right now. So things might start coming to a head for them. But they're dealing with a lot of injuries and you know Jonathan Isaac got a pretty sizable contract a few years ago. But he hasn't really been a part of that roster. It's almost kind of unfair to use Jonathan Isaac as an excuse for their performance. But Suggs? High lottery pick for them. Not playing. Injured. But I still think they're staying in these games even though they're losing. But when people look at them, they'll just say, oh, they're just terrible. They're a terrible team. And when you beat them, you don't get any credit for it. But you can't worry about that nonsense anyway. Just like you can't get too high on the Knicks being 3-1 and right now. Because I told you they were going to be 3-3 three and three after six games because they're going to go into Milwaukee tonight and they're going to get beat. They're going to get beat. Simple. And you know how the media does. They build you up to tear you down. They're building the Knicks up. They're driving driving people crazy. Oh, Jalen Brunson, all of a sudden, he's the conquering hero. So when Jalen Brunson can't score 50 points and save the Knicks from Milwaukee, then all of a sudden, you know, you're going to start hearing some of that criticism again. Jalen Brunson's not going to be able to save the Knicks against the Cavs and they fall to three and three. All of a sudden, you're going to start hearing the same nonsense. You got to keep your wits about you if you're a Knicks fan. And if you're a critic, if you're an NBA observer just in general, you have to understand that your record is a product of who you play. You should beat, for a team like the Knicks, who you are, your potential doesn't change because you won a couple games. This is a team that should compete for the play-in and because there are some playoff teams that were, that were penciled in penciled in that are struggling right now, you can look at the top six seeds, but they really aren't a top six seed team. They have to play to that level. They have to, and we talk about it all the time, they're going to have to outwork, execute. They're going to have to play above their heads to be a top six team in this conference. I don't care what you're seeing from Miami. I don't care what you're seeing from the Nets. It's, it's too early for this nonsense they're probably going to turn it around. You saw what happened with Boston last year and last year the Knicks started off 5 and 1. And they're about to be 3 and 3. And we'll get into after the Cavs game, Cavs game, we'll get into what the Knicks schedule is going to be for the next 5 to 10 games. Because it's going to be a pain in the butt. And their record might not look so pretty. But if you're going to be stupid about it, you're going to overreact when instead you should be looking at the development of the players on the roster and how the team looks night to night. Are they executing? Are they playing defense? Are they Are they making and taking the right shots? Because they're going to get out-talented by these teams that they're about to play. And I told you Donovan's going to have 69 points and 22 assists. Pencil it in. Call Vegas. You know how that's going to go down. And the Nets next week as well. Well, We'll get into it on a future episode. But the Knicks record in a week is about to look bad. And you're going to start seeing all of the positivity you've seen in the last 24 hours. You're going to start seeing that fall by the wayside. And you're already seeing detractors for uh, for this team. It was a story that came out on Heavy.com saying RJ's offensive struggles are because he's trying to defend all of the people that Jalen can't defend. Which is the nonsense. Especially, especially a player who said he wanted to be a two-way player last year. He wanted to be a defensive stopper. He wanted to be the guy who guarded the other team's best player. Now there's a story saying that he's complaining and it's affecting his offense. That's nonsense. I don't believe. It. I don't believe it's a real story. Maybe it came from R.J.'s trainers who worked on him all summer just so he can come out and be worse than he was before. It's early though. Don't take it personal. It's early. But R.J. looks like a whole mess out there. I don't care what his stats say. He looks like a whole mess out there. Missing layups, passing up teammates. 9-21 last night. Making his free throws. That's a good thing. He did have eight rebounds, four offensive. But offensively, he just looks a mess. He looks a mess. And like I said, he's passing up open teammates, and I don't like it. I don't like it. There's an opportunity at the end of the game. There was a play run for a dribble handoff to Brunson to hit game clinch and free throws. And RJ clearly decided that Brunson didn't need that ball. <laughs> clearly, clearly, you don't need this ball. I'm going to take these free throws. On one hand, you respect that. On the other, it's like, come on, man. Listen, I respect the gumption, but... Passing up a lot of open teammates during the game and then you're pulling stuff like that is gonna it's gonna start it's gonna start ruffling some feathers. On top of the fact that the media wants to ask the Knicks players every game, it's it's starting to get it's nuts. I talked about it, it's nuts. Talk about Jalen's great game, but stop talking about how great Jalen's been just in general. It's it's gonna get tired. Yeah, I'm tired of it. It's enough. It's enough. All right? The players don't need to hear that every single night. But this is why, and I'm hoping to bring this to a lot of people's attention, this is why it's so hard to play here. Because you have to deal with stuff here that you don't have to deal in other places. You don't have a room, 30 reporters asking you every single day how great your teammate is. Especially if you're RJ and you're struggling and you're supposed to be you know, a foundation uh, building talent. Especially if you are Julius Randle, who led this franchise a couple years ago and came off a season where he was a disaster and the, and the fans hated him. They don't want to hear about how great Jalen Brunson is every day. I don't care how I don't care how much they like him. Nobody wants to hear that. And when the team starts losing and Jalen can't carry them to the to victory, that stuff is going to come to a head. And the fact that Jalen has the entire franchise in the palm of, palm of his hands because of all of his relationships. From Dolan on down to Leon Rose to Tom Thibodeau, assistant coach, being his father, that stuff is gonna that's gonna start stinking. It's gonna be foul in a minute if the Knicks start losing too many games. And next week, starting tonight, you're gonna start seeing some losing. And if you're a Knicks fan, you want to see them start bouncing back. See how they bounce back because the schedule will write itself. You're playing good teams. You're gonna start playing some of the poor teams in the league. And there's not that many poor teams in the league to begin with. So every team, every win the Knicks get is a win, is a win that they earned. They're not out talenting anyone. And you need to enjoy it as a fan and as a critic, you need to chill out. You need to chill out. As for the Bucks, you know already you're dealing with Giannis. There's no there's no stopping him. There's nobody on this roster that can do anything with Giannis, period randall will be in foul trouble before he even begins to do anything about him mitchell will be in foul trouble before he even begins to do anything about him i'd love to see how hartenstein goes up against him and the reason why i'm naming centers is because you know Giannis is getting by his man and it's what's happening at the rim that's going to be relevant you know hartenstein's not a big time shot blocker he's a physical defender he likes to get in good position which is kind of how you have to defend Giannis, but we don't know what that looks like yet. We're going to see. But I just I just don't have a, high, a lot of high hopes for this game. So you're going to look at this and you're going to try to take... You want to take some, uh, some good things out of the game, like RJ playing better, like quickly adding a little bit more offense to what he's doing in the other aspects of his game that you've seen the last two nights. You want to continue to see Rose play well. You want to continue to see Cam play well. You want to see Fournier be more of a at least an average defender on offense. You know, you kind of want to see progress across the board. The win is probably not going to come. You got Brooke Lopez, who's a big, strong center. Again, a player that Mitchell never matches up well against. He doesn't match up well against big, strong centers, especially those who are efficient in the paint. Even though Brooke is outside a lot which is another thing that Mitchell hasn't been great at, but we'll see how Mitchell responds to another outside shooting center. He tends to fall for pump fakes on those guys, gets in a little foul trouble, blocking fouls when they put the ball on the floor, try to attack his closeout. out. He gets in trouble there. But a lot of that is because he's rotating defensively. So, you know, you criticize him if you want to, but a center having a guard on the perimeter Is tricky, but he needs to be a little smarter about it. You know, Brooke is going to put up some threes. Close out, close out, keep your hands up. You know, don't jump into the shooter. Don't overreact. You know, you want to see that kind of growth because he's going to need that throughout the season with so many shooting centers, and that's something he's never been great at. Vucevic, for example, used to light him up, hitting jumpers and then pump faking and getting by him. Uh, So, Brooke Lopez, not a good matchup for Mitchell. You got the great Drew Holiday on the other side. You kinda get a break with no Middleton. But at the end of the day, if you don't have an answer for Giannis, then what are you gonna do? There's there's, there's just no there's no girth on the Knicks beyond Randall and Hartenstein. That they can just there's no there are no bodies that you can kind of throw at him. Everybody else is too light for for Giannis. So you're gonna look you're looking at a big night from Giannis unless the Knicks scheme to defend him very well and he's just not very aggressive which is unlikely it's unlikely now you could double team him triple team him make him kick out to shooters right now milwaukee's sitting a little i think about 17th in the league in three-point shooting percentage the knicks give up a lot of three-point shots but their percentage is kind of around 35 percent, which is not terrible you know so you're kind of picking your poison there you take away everything Giannis is doing in the paint Make him kick out and make one of those shooters knock or a lot of those shooters knock those shots down. You're playing with fire there, but it's probably the best bet for the Knicks in this game. If they pull this game out on the other side of things, hey, get pumped. Get pumped. I really want to see RJ Barrett turn it around. I'm talking, I've been talking about how he's been playing. I don't like what he looks like out there. It's very important to consider the Knicks are playing relatively well as a team regardless of the opponent without RJ's offensive contributions being efficient. Again, 18 points, but the way those points are coming is kinda herky jerky. You can't count on it. And I, I think a lot of those points can be replaced by other players because of the way he's scoring. He's not scoring in in the ways the Knicks actually need him to score, which is Hitting outside shots and actually being efficient against smaller defenders and being efficient with his drives. It's just not a good sign right now so far with RJ. But a positive sign if you look at it from the perspective that he's not playing well. And if he does, listen, what what does this team look like if he's playing well? If he's shooting and he's hitting outside shot, even as an average shooter in the league, which is underneath what he did how he performed last year at the end of the season the last few months of the year shot the ball very well what does this team look like if he plays well waiting to see it also grimes listen what is going on with this guy's foot i'm not seeing a whole lot of reporting on it the conspiracy theorist in me is wondering If they're holding him out because the Knicks are playing well, trying to build up Cam's trade value or even Fournier's trade value because they know they have so many guys playing the same position and they're not going to play 11 guys. They made it clear Tibbs doubled down on that in the post-game press conference. He's not playing 11 people. So maybe they're just being extra cautious. With Grimes, so these guys can get a little bit more minutes. But if that's not the case, then we're really looking at Grimes having a foot injury that he was supposed to return in the preseason from. But now here we are, a week into the season, and he's still not playing. This is a guy that Knicks have high hopes for. So even when he does come back, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for everybody. And is he just going to jump right in and be as good as the Knicks thought he was going to be? How many games is it going to take for him to get back into the swing of things? How many, how much of a minus is he going to be on the court while he's trying to get himself back into the, into the game? How is that going to look for Cam? Who's going to have to sit on the bench while he's figuring it, figuring it out. That's going to be interesting story coming up, but three and one looking at a lot of bows being taken For Jalen Brunson's performance. A lot of egg on people's faces. I don't care how early in the season it is. You're seeing the best of Jalen Brunson. You're seeing Jalen Brunson play at a level that that the Knicks expected him to play at. And a lot of people didn't expect him to play at. You know, he's hitting a lot of pull-up jump shots. He's hitting floaters in the paint. Posting up guards. Great passes. He's not an assist guy, they said. I've said it. I've I've repeated that narrative. And you kind of get, you kind of, listen, these lessons are not learned, I think. it's It's the practical application of memory, the practical application of perspective. It's a struggle for a lot of people, many of us. When you say a guy can't do something, it's different than saying he's not doing it. Because in the NBA, he may not be asked to do it. And then you take on this perspective that he can't do it. And the sample size of him doing it is too small to measure. So you just dismiss it. But if you're watching, and if you've watched Jalen Brunson play, you knew that there were a number of things that he could do that people said he couldn't. People said he plays five out for the most part with Dallas. So the spacing with the Knicks was going to be too tight for him to do the same things. But if you watch Dallas play, you know that Powell would be on the floor a lot. And he scored with Powell around the rim. And if it's not Powell, it could have been someone else. He he has scored with people around the basket. He has done it before. Now, could the Knicks' schematic spacing have gotten in his way a little bit too much because Dallas, yes, they play with a lot more spacing than Knicks in general. Of course. But that's schematic. That doesn't mean that you don't bring the player in because you don't you don't think the coach is going to you know walk into a meeting one day and say, hey, you know what, maybe you stand here instead of there so Jalen can be better. That's just silly to me. You don't bring him in because you don't think the coach is capable of doing that? He's scoring with Mitchell in the paint almost all the time. Hartenstein, in the paint almost all the time. Hartenstein's not standing at the three-point line all the time. It just doesn't matter. He knows how to score, and if you watch him play, you've seen him do it a thousand times. The way he's scoring may not be the way you want your point guard to score. Say that, but don't say he was going to be incapable of doing it because the spacing was poor. Come on. On NBA radio last year, they were making fun, a couple of the hosts were making fun of Jalen Brunson because of his short arms and his short body saying that that's why he didn't shoot. He didn't have a, a large sample size of shooting the ball off the dribble at the three-point line, line. So there was an assumption that he couldn't do it. And then in the playoffs, he did it. But then that's too small of a sample size to really t- determine whether or not he could do it. But the notion that he would be incapable of being a starting point guard in the NBA, a good one, because he wasn't taking off the dribble threes for the Mavericks, he wasn't asked to do it. And I'd hope that organizations are smarter than that. Going to the film and saying, okay, well, he didn't do that for the Mavericks. So that means he can't do that in this league. What? Man, I got to tell you, if you didn't see this come in from Jalen, I mean, to some degree. Last night, 27 points. Great outing. Last game, I should say. But if you didn't see this to some degree, I got to I got to wonder what you're looking for. What are you looking for? You had to see that he could do what he's he's not doing anything that he did not do for Dallas. He's just doing more of it. Just doing more of it. So listen, going into this Bucks game. You want to see RJ play better, hit, hit a couple outside shots, finish in the paint. The Bucks led mostly by Brooke Lopez, who's averaging a zillion blocks a game, block a lot of shots, lead the league, I believe, and block shots. So there's going to be a grind in that paint for sure. And you want to see, obviously, Brunson is not going to follow that up, probably, with the same type of performance. But you want to see more of the same from him. You want to see quickly hit a couple shots, add to what he's been doing with that second unit the last couple of games. You want to see... Obi pick it up, and you want to see Cam not dribble off the back of his foot again. You want to see, can he grow to not turn the ball over for no good reason every time he steps on the floor? And obviously, you want to see if Cam could can make some outside shots and be a plus on the floor from the outside as opposed to just transition if you want to start talking about Fournier riding the pond. And the Knicks can do all of those things and still get beat by 15 and you're just going to shake it off and, and go into the Cav game and get beat by 17, not going to be a good weekend for the Knicks. It's just not. What you want it to be, you want to see growth from the guys. That's what you should be looking for right now as a Knicks fan. You want to see the players getting better. You want to see the team being cohesive. And if they can stay in the game, that's that's going to be, to me, that's a positive. I don't even know if they're going to be able to stay in the game against the Bucks. I don't even know if they can stay in it. And, and the way the Cavs look – And knowing how Donovan's going to come out in that game, the amount of length the Cavs play with, it's a tough, it's just really a tough matchup for the Knicks. And listen, you've heard me, I think defend is the wrong word, but you've heard me bring up Fournier and his shooting all the way back to the preseason. He's got a, he had a good game last, last game, but he's got to more consistently hit that outside shot and be a threat from out there. And he has to not be such a liability on defense. He can't play. It can't be the middle. Not if you see these guys continue to play well. If Fournier is not a plus with his shooting and at least serviceable defensively, you're going to start seeing less of him. Now you're seeing quickly play with the first unit. You saw Cam put in for defensive purposes. We're We're moving towards that first and third player right now. But if he's not knocking down shots, if he doesn't start looking like he's playing with a little bit more energy, and and I'm not going to question his effort, but he doesn't give the appearance of it sometimes, he looks like he's loafing out there. He kind of started last season off the same way. I don't know if that's just maybe a hangover from playing for his country. I don't know what it is, but you got to see a little bit more fire and desire out of him if he's going to be on the floor being a part-time shooter and a part-time defender. We can we can do bad with Quickly and came out there if that's going to be the case. So, you know, Fournier is going to make me a liar if he doesn't start knocking down some of these shots. So that's what you're looking for going into the weekend. It's going to be a tough one for the Knicks. It's going to be a tough week next week for the Knicks. But we'll be here. We'll break it all down. We're going to start adding some segments in the future episodes. We're going to start doing... Some tweets, reading off some crazy tweets from Nutty Nick fans and haters. You know, he went over the stupid story that came out talking about RJ's defending too many people. He's tired, worn out. Give me a break. $100 million is a joke. Nobody believes that. In the meantime, check out SportsEthos.com. Follow at SportsEthos on Twitter at ethosnicks on twitter we're live tweeting through most of these games come join the conversation i'll be on during the bucks game going over the good the bad and the ugly probably during the Cavs game as well thanks for listening